Hello, hello. Welcome back. In June of last year, 2022, we did an episode on designing your time, and it was pretty popular. We did that largely in response to the widespread reports of stress, overwhelm, and burnout that we were hearing across clients and in the world. It's now January of 2023, and that story hasn't seemed to change much. In our work, we do a mix of in-person and virtual facilitation for leadership development, and we will often start a session by asking all the participants to do a one-word check-in. By the way, we do this in our internal meetings, too, and we highly recommend it. In these larger groups, it's an interesting way to quickly take the pulse on the team. There are usually themes in what people share, and it reveals what the overall mood might be in that system of relationships. Lately, especially on our virtual sessions, I've been commonly hearing words like busy, overwhelmed, challenged, full, scattered, tired, stretched, also sick, lots of sick. In my personal life, I've also felt the sense that most people started this year full on, immediately overloaded and low on time. Across all of these interactions, I've been very present to our relationship with time and how that impacts our ability to show up and perform at work, to be engaged, and particularly how it impacts our ability to engage with complex challenges and with the complexity and uncertainty that naturally comes along with human interaction. When you really think about the impact of our sense that our sense of time has on our work, it's massive. When we feel low on time, we're more likely to be reactive rather than consciously and purposefully engaged. That means our emotional state, our stress and frustration, are running the show. We don't have our full intelligence available to us, neurologically, and we're cut off from the intelligence of others because we aren't very well connected to them. The thing is, we have the same number of hours in a day, and that's not going to change, at least as far as I'm aware. So the only answer seems to be figuring out how we best use the time we have. There seem to be two, maybe three, options that people move toward. Number one, find the productivity hack or best practice that will increase the value of time spent. Number two, just work harder. (laughs) or three, fall into powerless despair because we are a victim of our work and our time and our lives. You may also cycle between the three if you're anything like me. Of the hacks and best practices, one that's gained a lot of traction in the last few years is the four-day work week. A BBC article recently came out about this that shared that trials in the U.S. and Ireland and another in the U.K., so collectively over about 100 companies, showed the experiment was a success, reporting outcomes like stress, less stress, fatigue, improved work-life balance and satisfaction, increased productivity, and increased financial savings to employees on transportation and childcare. Kel Delaney, who joins me in this episode and who you may have heard from on here before, recently wrote a blog about this, actually, which largely inspired us to have this conversation today. I'll link to it in the show notes and encourage the read, but essentially, he makes the point that the four-day work week is a method. In order for any method to be effective, it needs to be in service of a clear purpose and set of targeted results. Said in other words, make sure your purpose and outcome are clear first before assuming that any given method is going to solve all your problems. You can't just read headlines, though. In the same BBC article, they talked about how these successes have largely been in smaller companies. Leaders of smaller to medium-sized companies are better able to see the whole system and how such a change would impact a number of variables across the business. 
They also have less rigid structures and more agility generally. And they noted in the article that such progressive change requires a high level of trust between leaders and workers. To Kel's point, employing a method, a shiny new thing we hope will be a fix-all, may well have unintended impacts if implemented in the wrong system or circumstances. For some, a shortened work week may increase stress and burnout. For many, a shorter work week will not be the answer and could potentially do more harm than good. For more on that, I really would go read his article. But if we talk about the do-better-work-harder hustle response to our time woes, that's also pretty common. MIT Sloan just published an article that talks about the tendency for many leaders and employees to prioritize work at the expense of their personal lives, which they call citizenship behavior. Those behaviors do indeed benefit the company and team performance, and they tend to influence evaluation of job performance, possible raises and promotions, etc. However, Extreme citizenship behaviors, things like using your own money for company expenses, working during vacations, and canceling plans to spend time with family, can be extremely detrimental to well-being and culture. In a survey of over 400 workers in the U.S. and the U.K., over 93% reported they engage with some sort of extreme citizenship behavior, and one in three reported they will likely continue to do so. 68% said they think it makes them more promotable and 38% feel regret about these behaviors. They offer that managers can reduce citizenship pressures by prioritizing quality of work over quantity and availability of time. Quote-unquote, emphasizing availability fundamentally disadvantages those who have childcare responsibilities, those with disabilities, or those who simply enjoy their hobbies. When quality is the first and most valued criterion, employees will realize that they can be excellent workers and still have a flourishing personal life. In essence, it's worthwhile to reflect on our often challenged relationship with time. Indeed, it's one of the everlasting human conditions that we can be sure of and one that inspires creative tension if we're willing to engage with it. Designing our time in service of what you most care about, be that well-being, specific achievements, or some mixture of the two, requires presence to ourselves, to the nature of our work, to our circumstances. It requires being conscious of what it's time for now, which may not be what it's time for in the next moment or the next, and it may not be what it's time for for someone else. And if you are a leader with influence, it's critical to remember that your relationship with time is likely what you are modeling for those you lead. Is it something that you want to pass on? In today's episode, I'm joined by Kel Delaney and Patrick Kennedy, and it's a very real conversation among thoughtful colleagues who also wrestle with the time well-being dilemma. As you'll hear, so much of what we've seen cause a more valuable and energizing relationship with time comes down to mindset and, of course, human connection. I hope it leaves you thoughtful about your own relationship with time and that that you inspire in those you lead and work with as you start your new year. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. We are back with On Connection, and I have two of my great colleagues here with me today. So, Kel Delaney, who's been on the podcast before. Welcome back, Kel. Thank you. And um, 
Patrick Kennedy. And Patrick, you have not been on the podcast yet, but you have contributed to a podcast episode because you were meant to be on the Flow episode that was one of our earlier episodes. And I think we did a shout out to you because you had helped us prep for that episode and um, stimulated our thinking and everything. But so it's well overdue, but welcome, Patrick, to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so today we want to talk about a continuation of the theme of designing your time. We did an episode earlier this year that was really focused on addressing burnout, overwhelm, all all the very common things that people are reporting right now, both in organizations and in the rest of their life. Time feels scarce and, um, that our relationship to time is causing, a lot of stress, um, a lack of engagement, and people are a little bit lost with how to improve that. And so that was actually a very popular episode this year. So we thought, let's come back and talk some more about it, especially because this continues to also be something that's relevant to us in our lives. Um, You may or may not have caught it if you follow us on LinkedIn, but... Kel actually wrote a blog uh, about, what, two months ago, a month or two ago, um, that was, it basically inspired that we should continue having this conversation on the podcast too. But the title of the article was, Why the Four-Day Work Week Isn't the Answer to Stress and Burnout. Kel, what would you say are like the high-level things that you felt were important to share with people in that article? Well, I think what really prompted that blog post for me was, you know, conversant, we talk about the flow of work is we have a purpose, why we're doing something. We have the method we we execute to serve that purpose. And then we have the outcomes we get. Uh, but when, when you design for that type of work, you always start with purpose. And then you figure out, well, what is it at the very end that we'd be happy with when we conclude to say, we did this successfully. And then you figure out the right methods to connect the dots between purpose and results. And what really got me was this whole idea of the four-day work week has been um, a method that's being thrown about. And people are like, oh, magic solution. Let's all have a four-day work week. Um, But what we've learned with countless clients, and I've learned in my own life many, many times over, is when you just blindly throw methods at things, sometimes you get lucky and it does work. But Often it doesn't because it's not serving the right purpose or the outcomes you're looking for. And so the blog for me was a way to explore, well, let's step back here and say, four-day work week is a, is a method. What purpose are we trying to serve? Like, why are we doing this? And then what are the outcomes we're trying to reach? And, and I give a couple ideas around how people can play around with this and, and clarify their own purpose, clarify their own outcomes that they're looking for, and then brainstorm different methods for what might get me there that works for me and my style. I've come to find I've worked with a lot of clients. I've done a lot of this work on myself, but I've come to find that this is a very individual question, actually. You know, some people would prefer to work five days and let everyone else be off on Friday because they like having that day alone. Other people want the four-day work week. Other people want to work more. And it's really just a matter of figuring out for you what makes you come alive and be more energized in your work, not drained. Um, the other piece is really, I think the biggest highlight I was trying to make in that blog post, <clears throat> excuse me, was this idea of it's both individual and social responsibility. responsibility. So yes, we each need to make better choices, 
but we also operate within an organization, teams, groups of people that affect the decisions we make. They have huge sway over us. And so it's important for organizations and leaders to guide their teams through the conversations they need to have to figure out how do we want to work together? What are the right what are the purposes we're serving? What are the outcomes we're trying to accomplish? And what are the various methods that work for us and our team and the individuals on it? Mm. Great. Well, thank you. And I mean, I think a lot of people felt stimulated by that article. It seems there was a, a great deal of engagement and at least it got me thinking a lot too. And I think is an important mindset shift for people to consider. Um, Patrick, when we were preparing for this conversation, Kel asked you, what is your relationship to time? Do you remember what your answer was? I can try to recreate it. Um, no, but the <laughs> my relationship with time, I had said, uh, I, I'm currently fighting it. Um, and it, historically, it's been a bit of a cycle where sometimes feel like things just kind of flow. They come in. I let go. Other times I feel like uh, I can be managing the minutes within the day uh, and there never seems to be enough. And so in that, uh, the the challenge uh, for myself is where do I extend grace? How do I extend grace to myself? Um, how do I allow myself to say no to things? And ultimately, as Kel mentioned, how do I reconnect myself to purpose? Because ultimately, everything that I'm doing is in service of something. And more often than not, when I feel that sense of hurry or stress, I'm just doing. There is no connection to a larger purpose. There's no orientation to a larger outcome. It's very tactical, to-do list driven where every item I scratch off on the to-do list begets two additional items that I didn't know about beforehand. Mm -hmm. Well, Patrick, it's so funny because I didn't think about this, but uh, yesterday, Patrick and I were preparing for a client engagement and we were just you know, riffing and talking about one of the topics that we're going to be exploring with the client. And we were talking about our emotional reaction to the world. And stress being a big one of those. But I mentioned that TED Talk that Kelly McGonigal did. It's one of the more popular TED Talks. But she talks about that our relationship to stress determines its impact being either positive or negative on us. And so how we're framing it, which then comes right back to both Kel and Patrick, what you're saying is it's what is the purpose of our use of our time? And if we have a purpose... So stress, you know, is a biological response. If we're being prepared for something purposeful, our relationship to that experience might be very different than if we're feeling like the victim of something and like this is being done to me and I shouldn't feel this way. The shoulds, coulds, and woulds are really dangerous in this space, I think. But no, as we say uh, to, to some folks, stop shooting all over yourself. Stop shooting all over yourself. Yes, I agree. But um, but yeah, so that's it's really interesting. I like that we're all coming back to purpose here. Um, and you know, even though th this conversation isn't really going to be focused on time management best practices, but you may hear us mention a couple of things that might 
help you guide your relationship to purpose and to time. Um, and some things that we have either individually seen work or seen work in others or that we recommend for clients. But, you know, Emma Rose, you just got me thinking about something when you were talking about the TED Talk and the relationship to stress. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, another thing we teach at Conversant is, you know, two of the, the two primary motivating factors for humans are purpose and fear. And when fear is dominant, which is usually the cause of stress, it sort of shuts us down. We're not as creative um, and we get paralyzed or trapped. And I think a lot of us are in this like fear-driven way of prioritizing or doing our work throughout the day. We're just meeting to meeting and thing to thing and just this endless to-do list. And so as a result, we can't be creative. Mm -hmm. And you can't get rid of fear by focusing on it. It's sort of like trying to get rid of biceps by doing bicep curls. Like it just doesn't work. You have to like not, you have to let it atrophy. Uh, but the other way, you know, to flip that script is to focus on clarity of purpose as we're we keep coming back to, as Patrick was mentioning. And if we can keep getting clearer and clearer and clearer about, well, what am I trying to do? What do I most want to serve? What would I most be, be happiest to have accomplished today? What is that purpose? As that purpose and clarity and purpose grows, when it outsizes the fear that we're currently experiencing, the fear becomes motivating fuel or driver to accomplish our purpose. It energizes us to do so. And so I think a lot of this overwhelm and drain is because people are caught in the fear loop mm. and taking the time to clarify purpose and results as we're talking about. And it's funny because we just did a whole prep conversation about this and this had not occurred to me until now, <laughs> but clarifying the purpose and outcomes gives us a creative ways of thinking about method to get there and the energy to use the fear in us as a motivating force. Mm. And I, th so I think that's actually a pretty, pretty neat way of, of uh, thinking about it. Yeah. Well, you know, something that comes up for me about that too is um, uh, a couple things, but one, you know, this is going to probably be our first episode of 2023. So new year, People have all these really good intentions for how they're going to become their best selves in the air quotes, best selves in the new year. Um, and a lot of that is best practice adoption, right? Like, or discipline. I'm going to be more disciplined in this way. I'm going to have this routine. I'm going to do this thing. And Patrick, actually, you wrote a blog. Oh my God, I think it was two years ago now or something about about our relationship to setting those intentions. Do you remember that? Are you remembering it at all? <laughs> I'm attempting to remember the content okay. in there. <laughs> well, I can jog your memory. Um, but one of the things we talked about was, I think your example was like brushing your teeth or flossing or something. Um, but that if you have a routine that you're trying to do, you still need to have a relationship to why you're doing it and what the outcome is that you're hoping to see out of it. And that has to be renewed for you really consistently. It cannot be this thing that doesn't feel very connective for you. So I think, you know, one of the questions we often ask people or an exercise that we encourage people to do is you can do it in a partnership or in a small group or something. But if you ask them a question like, well, what's important for you to accomplish this year or what's important for you to see happen this year? And you give an answer. And what's important to you about that? And what's important to you about that? 
And what's important to you about that? And what's important to you about that? And it goes on for however long we've told people to be in this conversation. Um, And the intention is that it should be a little bit challenging to answer the question because it's getting at a deeper level of care than you might be automatically conscious of. And that connecting to that deeper purpose, so that is the purpose, right? The thing that we really care about is going to be the most motivating and connecting to whatever that commitment then is. But if you don't have clarity there, so this is where else I was going is that I think clarity, containment, and some relationship to reality, and maybe that fits within clarity too, are really important in this conversation. So clarity of what it is that you want to be done, get done and why, and what it matters, who it matters to. It matters to you in this way, but who else might it matter to? Because many of us are also motivated by relationship um, or the community that we're serving or the larger collective purpose. And then containment by when, in what amount of time, or, you know, not trying to boil the ocean. I think sometimes people do that. And that's a big reason why New Year's resolutions generally don't end up working very well. Um, but giving yourself a reasonable vantage point for seeing, you know, how this is going to play out and what the results really are that you're hoping to see, but then a connection to the reality of how that's going throughout that. So, you know, there's a reason why people say, take progress photos if you're trying to lose weight, right? It's, it's really painful and you don't want to do it. And, you know, and, and that works for some people and not others, but it's, this is again, one of those method things that can be interchanged, um, based on who you are and what your purpose is and what you're looking to cause. But, it's a checking in with what's actually happened. So accurately, what did I do today relative to what I said I was intending to accomplish? Why did that go the way it did? What explanations do I have for that? It might've gone differently than I might've intended. And how might that inform how I learn going about it in the future? But we need those cycles of checking in with ourselves and being really connected to how it's actually going. I think a a key a key point in what you just said, Emmerose, that I think uh, glues it or bonds that concept together for me is the learning. Mm-hmm. If there's no clarity of purpose, I don't know what to pay attention to to learn. It's just these discrete topics. So with purpose, I'm able to learn. With that learning, I'm able to refine um, that purpose over time, the results I might be looking for. And so if we've got that framework where I can actually learn or see progress, that itself is really important. And um, as, as I was dragging up my memory about the, the blog post, <laughs> the two things that came up, one was by framing by framing it as a promise rather than a to-do, the, the promise in setting a particular intention, if we're talking about in the frame of time management, how do I get more done in my day? And what are the things that I can do to be more productive or efficient or effective? And all these words. Mikkel, you were mentioning earlier, focusing on the key three things for a particular day and how that helps clarify the purpose of that day. And there's a hundred different things we can attend to that may get done, might not get done, but the important thing is clear. And with that, I feel like there's an embedded promise that you're making to yourself, that I'm setting this intention and I'm promising 
to myself, I will get this done to the best of my ability. And with that, it, it, to me, it's a slightly different tone of how I show up relative to that purpose. If I list it as a to-do, there's a bunch of items here and I can do my Eisenhower matrix or I can do whatever technique to identify prioritization, whatever. Yeah. But if I'm making a promise, there's there's something a bit stickier about it. Totally. And with that, that you Rose, you brought up the flossing example, which queued up a different story yeah. around uh, how do we choose? Um like when when we're adopting a technique or whatever, um, I, and so a guiding philosophy comes from a story about a friend of mine that has terrible teeth. So he was just going into the the depths of chemical composition of different toothpaste that might impact the enamel on his teeth in different ways, and he finally goes to the dentist and says, "Okay, I've narrowed it down to these two brands of toothpaste." Which one would you select? And the dentist said, whichever one gets you to brush your teeth. Yeah. Because the important part wasn't the analysis around the particular technique, or in this case, the particular toothpaste. It was the action itself. It, it kind of doesn't matter. Whichever one <laughs> that gets you to actually do the thing that you intend to do, that's, that's the one to choose. So in that sense, it, when we think about well, what are the the merits of this particular technique or that particular technique? But if it works, it's a good one. If it doesn't work, try something else. And relative to that, what is it in service of to begin with? Because more often than not, that's going to be the 80% uh, of the solution is establishing that container of clarity um, so that you can refine the method uh, out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and then, you know, humans are social. And, you know, many of you listening, I'm sure, are on teams or in organizations. And, and I think we can do all of that with our teams and with the people around us, you know, with our friends, if it's a, a social thing that's relative to our friends. You know, all of these things, I think, are building towards just what motivates humans to act and to behave and to change our behaviors or to manage our time differently or to prioritize differently. And, you know, to Emma Rose's points before, I've worked with a lot of clients recently where people are overwhelmed, exhausted. There's a lot of, I've come to find that anytime an organization or a group of people are saying, we need to prioritize better. When they're saying that, it's actually, people aren't clear at all. It's not about prioritizing. It's about people really don't know why am I valuable? And what is what is my best contribution here? And how do I fit the bigger picture? And how does that serve the things we're trying to do together, the purpose and outcomes we're trying to accomplish? And so we've done, a, I've done a variety of exercises with different clients where instead of going into like calendar management and time management to deal with, you know, stress and burnout and all these different things, we actually start with, have everyone take a moment to just write down on paper what they think their contribution is not their role description, but what do they think they're valuable for? And it's amazing because I've actually found the majority of people have never done this and aren't as clear as they thought they were. And then usually, you know, asking their colleagues or their teammates to share a little bit about, well, 
why do you value this person? Or what do you think they're valuable? But, and hearing that from your colleagues is extraordinarily powerful because now you're creating that social situation too, where you get to say, oh, oh, wow, look, like I see that I'm valuable here, but oh my gosh, I didn't know, I didn't realize people thought, you know, saw this value in me and this other value in me. Now people have something solid to give that they're excited to give. It's clarity of purpose, you know, in a sense for the self. And as you do that, now you have a sense of, who we are together as a team or an organization. And you align all of that to whatever the objectives or the purpose of the organization, the objectives you have for the year, the strategy, however you want to think about it and have people actually do the thinking together in small groups or and on their own and on teams. But well, how do we connect the dots from our individual contributions to this like big picture and who we are as a team and how we're contributing to that? That resolves 80% of the overwhelm and stress. And because now people are clear, they can go, oh, I can, now they can make better choices around how, how they give their time, what they choose to do at the beginning of the day, what they choose to delay or to, to not do at all. Uh, because now they know what, the, what they're serving and what they're collectively trying to do together. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's such a simple thing in one sense, but it's so hard to do, or it's easy to miss or skip over because people are like, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, I would say you don't have time not to do that. Um, and especially if you're saying you don't have time to do it, that would be a sign to me that you really do need to do it. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's a, a super interesting point bring that up, Kel, that there's, I can imagine for listeners who are selecting this podcast to listen to, to, to hear what are the techniques to help me with my time management? Um, and then they hear this talk about clarity of purpose and having an idea of what my unique contribution is and go, well, this isn't what I was looking for. <laughs> and I, I think for that, it what it calls up to me is something we we're talking about in the uh, uh, print meeting that his, historically, the idea of time management isn't very old. Pre-industrial revolution, people had a very different relationship with time. There were no clocks around. So people operated with nature. You couldn't manage your way into crops growing faster. You relied on seasons. You relied on sunlight. You relied on uh, people around you. With the industrial revolution, now all of a sudden you've got punch cards and you've got widgets that you're making and you've got increments of time that can be managed in to great benefit. And at the same time, now we feel that that's the only way. If I can just manage this minute a little bit better, then my life will be great. And so we get caught in a trap of thinking, yes, yes, let me find the best podcast, the best blog, the best new uh, tool, whatever it is, that I can buy, that I can adopt, that I can try on for myself, and then my life will be fixed. Mm -hmm. The challenge then is for, for those individuals that feel that natural but very powerful tendency to look for that next latest greatest thing, how for, for those individuals like Kel mentioned, the, those folks are in most need to take a step back and identify for themselves, what is my unique contribution in service of what purpose? Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like um, a, a ball of saran wrap 
that slowly evens out, slowly pulls apart and is flat again. It's this knotted thing that you're with that sort of clarity all of a sudden becomes a lot easier. It's not that less is getting done. In fact, you could get more done. But your experience of it is less stressful. Your experience of it is more productive or more contributive. Right. Yeah, I think that like, what am I called to do thing? You know, we can ask that questions any number of ways, but like, you know, what is the unique contribution that I have to make? in this group of people? What is it that I most care about contributing as an individual? What is it that I feel most energized by contributing? When have I felt um, the most on purpose personally? Like you can even think over the last month, in the last week, in the last year, what was something that I was working on? And I felt, I felt like time expanded, right? Rather than like it was contracting on me, but it felt like, wow, I was really focused and in flow or, you know, motivated and excited about this thing. Um, Another question I love when we ask is what do you get paid to do? And you're not allowed to use your title, which is hard for people, but it gets you thinking because very rarely is your role description really exactly what you do, right? And titles, to be honest with you, pretty much BS, depending on the industry that you're in. Title to title across organizations is so drastically different because you're in a system of relationships with these people at this time, in this company, in this region, in this industry, whatever. So it's like, what am what is needed of me in this moment? What does this moment call for? And that requires such a level of presence. A lot of the best practice things, you just create this serial list or have your matrix or have your thing and you go through stuff, but then things get thrown at you and it throws that off. And you can't over, you can't over manufacture ahead of time, right? There's a a being with, and that your discernment of what's most needed in your relationship to the purpose is going to be what helps you make those decisions as things are changing and shifting constantly and be agile in a productive way that's going to both help you carry through in a purposeful and more sustainable way and really service your team to the other people around you that are part of that network of, of contribution. Um, and so I, you know, I think another part of this too, like it's, we can really make ourselves feel badly about our use of time. I think there's a lot of, um, guilt and sort of a deficit mindset, um, that, we could be more disciplined. We could be using our time better. Um, there's never enough hours in a day. And I'm, and that's because I'm bad at using those hours. Um, even like for me, (laughs) so I'm, I read a lot. I love reading. I mostly read fiction now. Um, and, I had a book goal for this year that I totally did not meet, and that's okay. Um, But I still read probably more books in a year than I ever have. Um, And there's this, and my my to be my my want to read list is very large. So that feels like you know just like your to do list. It's massive. I am never going to finish all of those books, especially because there are new books being published all the time that are going to be of interest to me and. Duh. And so I get stressed about reading for fun because there's just too much to read. And then I'm on TikTok. And so I'll get on TikTok and there's a lot of book recommendations on TikTok. And there's this kind of running joke 
in the world of quote unquote book talk, as they call it, um, that we're spending too much of our time on TikTok getting more book recommendations rather than actually just reading the books that are already <laughs> on our list. So that's an example of like, I could make myself feel bad about that I'm not reading all those books on my list, or I can make myself feel badly about that I'm on TikTok rather than reading the book that I actually want to be reading. Um, but that's not very helpful. I don't find that valuable. I think the and that's that goes back to Kelly, your thing about fear versus purpose. And am I afraid of the reality of how I've shown up? Am I afraid of being judged? Am I afraid of my own judgment of myself? Or am I orienting to what I most care about. And so, you know, I might, I, I, I care most about enjoying the books that I'm reading. And if that means that I read a little slower or I read fewer books in a year, then that's okay. And I want to get the most out of it that I can, or I care about, I had to care about something else that day. And so I didn't read as much that week as I wanted to, because there were other things calling my attention. So I, I have this, running theory you know because i think everyone everyone has the experience of what we're talking about of clarity of purpose and knowing how to make those choices and <clears throat> prioritize and that is you know commonly known as uh urgency urgency or crises or firefighting moments at work and what that does my running theory is those moments make it so we don't have to deal with the difficult decisions we're just it's like oh my gosh i have to get this done and it forces us to get very clear about purpose and what's essential and just do it and everything else just gets pushed out of our mind we're not feeling guilty about it we're not feeling like we're incompetent we're literally like i'm doing this and and then we can show that we're valuable to everybody else because we just got that done this this urgent thing um and so i think to me that it's such a great example of we already do it but I th what I think what we're talking about and what I'm definitely advocating for is let's do that proactively so we're not constantly fighting fires and operating from urgency and high stress. Like we can actually embed the principles that make that work in a more thoughtful way in advance. But it does take discipline. It does take the you know practice of being able to stop, <clears throat> reflect for a little bit at the beginning of the day. What do I need to do today? What's most important? What are the three things that if that's all I got done, I'd be ecstatic about, or I'd feel like that was a good day. Um, and then everything else is just additional, you know, bonus stuff. Um, but I, I think, you know, so much of this is, is about being proactive in our skills and being able to, when we talk about time management, that to me is real time management. It's managing our choices in the frame that we bring to our days, our weeks, our work, our personal lives, and how we make our choices. Because you're never going to read all the books. You're never going to watch all the shows. You're never going to do all the tasks. Like it's just never there. The list is growing faster than you're able to accomplish stuff. So the ability to say, these are the most important things. And I'll be happy with that at the end of today. It's the joy that that brings that really matters. I mean, it's the, the, how it moves our work forward that really matters. It's the three books that you read this year <clears throat> that you enjoyed instead of the 52 that you read this year that you can't really remember much about. Like mm. it's it's the quality. And, you know, we often talk, you know, to your point, Patrick, about the Industrial Revolution. 
I would say that after the Industrial Revolution, now we've shifted from this very efficiency-focused world where it's all about productivity and time management and operating like machines. Humans are not machines. And most of the biggest challenges organizations are facing now are complex. So they, they don't have an efficiency answer. Yet we try, we've continued in vain to look for the efficiency way out of complex challenges. Um, we're looking for effectiveness now not efficiency. And sometimes the most effective thing is not efficient at all, but that's actually more valuable. And can we be there like reading that book and really enjoying it because you reread each page as you went through it and, and savored it? That's not efficient, but that's not the point. Mm. The effective enjoyment of that book is taking the time you need to really savor it. And we can do the same thing at our work, especially with the more complex stuff. If it's things that are just, you know, we need to operationalize and just boom, 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 do, great. Make it as efficient as possible. But it's when it comes to innovation and creativity and connecting as people and, and learning to do our work better together where we enjoy it, that actually takes sometimes being less efficient to be more effective. Mm. Well, I love that. To... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it brings up a question for me, uh, Kellen Amorose, that I'd be curious to get your take. I have a, I have a, a feeling associated with that, that flip of okay, I can choose the less efficient approach if it's more effective, and effectiveness is defined as me satisfying some purpose or meeting some outcome that's already predefined. I but I haven't experienced like almost viscerally of letting go. I have to let go of something. But now I'm curious, what is that for you both? What is that thing that's being let go of? Or what? Or mm. if it's just me, um, then I can explore it on my own. <laughs> but I, I have this sense of like, uh, a strong attachment to I must ingest all these books, I must do execute all the to-dos on my list. I must get this complete today. But what is it that I'm letting go of mm. so that I can experience that effectiveness of purpose? Well, uh, it's interesting because that's kind of where I was I was starting to think about, you know, Kel, I know you're a big fan of that. It's really important to think through what you need to say no to. And that's been a really big theme in our organization too, actually, in the last year. Um, Robin just wrote a blog about that, like pruning your priorities and everything and how, how that affords you focus and all that. So inherently in all of this, there is a letting go of the things that are not going to be what you choose to focus on or that don't best serve your purpose. And I say best because that could be efficiently, that could be more effectively. And I really love that distinction, Kel. Um, for me, I think... It's so funny because this comes to, Kel, I know in the prep you were saying something about like time management comes more, our relationship to time is really more about seeing ourselves differently. And I think that it gets down to so much ego, you know, like, did I really promise somebody else that I was going to read 60 books this year? No. And what does it say about myself if I didn't? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nobody cares. Um, if I, now there are, might be things that we have committed to, like, for example, this podcast, we have a commitment to have an episode come out every two weeks. 
And we made that up. <laughs> like I I made that up. And so if there is a fluctuation in work and in the reality of our lives that has us go, you know what? Actually, we need a little bit of a break, which we just took. We just took about a month off of the podcast and it helped. It gave us space to be purposeful in another domain. We had other priorities in the business we needed to take care of. It gave us gave us some time to have an actual adjust conversation and refresh our commitment to the podcast in a more intentional and focused and purposeful way. Um, so I think there's, but a lot of that, the resistance to letting go of some of those things, I think is egoic. I think it's like, what will others think of me or what, what in the end, what will I think of myself? So that's what comes up for me. But Kel, what about you? Well, it's a great question, Patrick. I, and I, I guess I have two two answers. One that feels generic and just sort of the, everyone will go, yeah, yeah, that's right. And another I find more interesting. So I'll start with a more generic one. And that's <clears throat> that I think we're in a culture that teaches us, that has taught us, you know, we have on most of our movies, the Marvel movies, all this is these perfect superhero beings that are just like amazing at everything. And so we're constantly taught to be to read the most, to listen to the most podcasts, to watch all the shows, to do all the things, to be perfect at everything, to be amazing at dealing with conflict conversations, to have amazing relationships, a perfect marriage, and so on and so forth. And, you know, Instagram, social media, TikTok, all these things reinforce that because people collate and collect and, and curate their lives to model that. So we're just everywhere we're being bombarded by these images. So I think there is this perpetual, I'm not good enough, unless I can demonstrate I've done more than everybody else, but everyone's doing that. <laughs> like technically only one person can do the most, like, but that, but this is not possible. Right. <clears throat> and, but I think it comes down to this core, like feeling of I'm not good enough until, but I, no one has ever stopped to define for themselves. If I got to X, I'd actually be happy. Right. And that's part of what I think we're saying here is take the moment at the beginning of the day and say, what is my contribution? What is, it, what is it I want to do today or I need to do in my work, for example, that if five o'clock rolls around, end of my work day, and I've accomplished these three things, I can feel proud about it. I can be happy. I can smile and say, that was a good day. Could have done more maybe. But yes, I feel good. Can we all stop and define that first? Because it's impossible to ever, ever, ever do it all. And we're all operating with this like infinite ending. That like, if we can just get to infinity, we'll be happy. Doesn't exist, never will. So it's a false promise we're making to ourselves. So that's number one. The more interesting thing to me is this question about, and I was reflecting a little while back that I think this idea of saying no to things, I think people are operating under this like unexpressed assumption that they're just not saying no to a bunch of things that are wasting their time. Mm. But that's the easy stuff. And in most cases, I think the reason people, the, what people aren't saying no to are the things they, are other things they care about. And the reason it's so hard is you have to say no to more things that you care about. Like you need to say no to the other 683 books on your to read list. Mm -hmm. You really do want to read because it's just not possible. And so how do you pick which things you really, really want to do or say or are really important for your work? that you have to say no to so you can say yes to some other things and do those well. 
But that to me is the most interesting way of looking at this is like, what I need to say no to is actually very hard because I need to say no to a bunch of things I really care about. I I think that, that, so you, you saying that Kel, there is a fascination and for whatever reason, I'm thinking of two Keanu Reeves movies, Johnny Mnemonic and the matrix. Uh, There's a fascination with that instant learning. What if I could learn something instantly? And so there's that, I think you're right in that there's this desire for that unachievable state of instant learning. I don't actually have to go through the process of traditional human learning. I can just jack it into my brain and there it is. And now I know it. Isn't that great? Even that pushed to that extreme in these movie examples, does that achieve the goal of being happy and feeling fulfilled and like you've achieved this purpose? Probably not. There, there's something in there that I think is is interesting because you can take that hypothetical example and say, great, magic wand scenario, you can have it all. Everything on your to-do list, done with time to spare. Isn't that wonderful? But underneath that is this desire of, yeah, but I do need to do more. <laughs> but now I need to find that more wherever that is. So underneath that is some motivation, some driving force of feeling good enough, feeling happy, satisfying some uh, underlying purpose like MROs that you don't know what it is until you ask those what's important to me about that and about that and about that and getting to a level where you don't have a pre-canned answer for what that might be. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the important things, you know, if you haven't listen to the uh, Art of Adjustment episode, I would invite people to do that. But part of our adjust protocol, which is really, you know, other people might call it a debrief or a postmortem, which that's terrible and everybody should stop calling it that or what have you, Um, a review conversation. Um, One, people don't tend to have them, (laughs) but they're helpful. But one of the things, one of the very first questions is what was the purpose that we originally intended. And we'll say, and if that's a hard question to answer, there's your first lesson. You were never aligned on the purpose or clear on the purpose in the first place. And I think that that is such a critical question to ask at the end of any effort because people lose sight of what their mindset was when they started. Because if you, I mean, if you even just think back to the beginning of 2022 and the things that you intended to get done this year, and where you were and what felt present and important and what the circumstances were that you were facing and the other people on your team and your company versus now, we start to see things through the filter of today rather than the timestamp of where we were when we set out to do something. And that from that vantage point at the beginning, past you looking forward and going, holy shit, you did all that? That's amazing. <laughs> Good job. Um, but from here, we're seeing it from a different vantage point where we're aware of all the other things we could do or didn't get to, or the things we should have gotten to, or the things that are left undone. And I think we just need to check ourselves because that's not an accurate representation of what happened or what got accomplished. And it definitely doesn't honor the effort and energy that went into whatever that thing was. And I think we need to be so much better at celebrating and honoring what did occur because most of the time 
it's much better than I think we tend to report with our critical um, post, you know, retroactive lens. Um, and it doesn't service any future effort either because you want to know, going back to your unique contribution too, but you want to know what the strengths are or what the things are that you did do well or that we already do well and use that as a foundation to build off of. If you discount that, then you're losing something to stand on and energy to fuel your future efforts. And so, and especially in these organizations where people are burned out, oh my gosh, do people need to be seen in that and seen in their effort and seen in what they have contributed? I think that's so important. Well, and building off that, like, I love the example of the adjust conversation, Amarose, and and celebrating and honoring because what what that also does is it's, a, it's about learning together and mm-hmm. humans thrive. There's some quote, I can't, I don't remember it exactly, but it's something along the lines of um, humans who are not growing are just slowly dying. Mm-hmm. And human beings, we don't, we don't actually, we don't get joy from, it's like nobody would want to be sitting on a beach for the rest of their life. There's something about, and actually referencing back to the flow episode that Patrick contributed to, but was not actually on, but (laughs) like that is flow, that flow state where people are learning and growing and engaged actively in, in something that's both challenging, but they're able to accomplish and they're able to stretch and grow. That is where we're at our happiest. This idea of like, just having it, like the accomplishment is great and it feels wonderful, but it's sort of like, eating a bag of Doritos. Oh, it's amazing at the time, but then you sort of feel gross a little bit afterwards. Like it's not as fulfilling or nutritious as being in the learning process, the flow state. And to me, I've sort of come to this place as uh, this understanding for myself that like, that's actually what we strive for. So the ability to choose three things today that we're going to do and really be engaged in them deeply and give our all and be creative and be proud of them that brings us the joy and fulfillment and that nutrition. Um, it's this savoring our experiences, savoring the time that we're in things. It's really being present. We've heard a lot about mindfulness and presence. Um, all of this, and there's wisdom in all these traditions that have taught this forever. And it's about finding the ways. I think everything we've discussed over this past 45 minutes or so is, is about finding the ways to bring more savoring of every moment, more presence, more ability to be in that flow in whatever we're in, whether it's a conversation with our loved ones, whether it's a meeting at work, whether it's, you know, at the gym doing our, you know, CrossFit, <laughs> whatever it might be. But like to me, that's really the end of the day, we want, people want to be happy. We want to be joyful, but that joyful joy comes from stretching and growing and learning, not just the accomplishment or sitting back and, and being massaged. The massage is valuable when we're sore and we're, we really crave it, not because we have one every day. I love that example, um, Kel. And when I use the the frame of nutrition, uh, I really like thinking of, we're talking here about time management. Someone's craving more time management, more time management, better time management, tastier time management. It's like <laughs> this sugar. When you eat sugar consistently, you start craving more sugar, even though it's damaging your body. So what's that signal then to, to go eat? 
you know, some healthy proteins and healthy veggies, that sort of thing. If you feel that sense of craving, I just want some more tasty time management, that itself could be a cue to address the thinking around what what actually does feed me in a better way. Mm-hmm. What What yeah. is that thing that's more nourishing? Right. Well, and I think, you know, just considering like less might be more or higher quality might be more rather than higher quantity or, you know, that going back to that efficiency versus effectiveness piece. And another thing, and this can be one of our parting thoughts, but we often say is do everything it takes and nothing more and then do less and do everything it takes in order to fulfill the thing we said we want to fulfill, right? So in order to fulfill a purpose, in order to fulfill an intention. So do everything it takes and nothing more and then do less and see how that goes. So, you know, just a suggestion for everyone. Um, well, since we are running up at time, why don't we close with our one of our one-word closes since we're big fans of the one-word close. Um, but in one word, what are you leaving with today? What, what's one word? Purpose first. That has a hyphen. Okay. (laughs) See, we, the creative cheating happens a lot in the one word close, but how about you, Patrick? Nourishment. Mm. Um, honoring. It seemed like a good theme for me. Love it. Well, I'm going to go honor my red books for the year. (laughs) 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 Really celebrate my efforts. Um, And I hope you will both celebrate your efforts as well. And for those of you listening, thanks for tuning back in. Happy 2023. It is a brand new year full of possibilities and an opportunity to renew purpose for yourself and for your teams. So we hope you can do so. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Converse's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.